there was a conversation and a key part of our story is a conversation that Roger Goodell had with Jerry Jones in May. Jerry was looking for an update from the commissioner about where things stood. Jerry Jones had a very distinct takeaway from that conversation that there was going to be no suspension. You know, I had this fortune of meeting this grad student. I think when I was 10 years old, my parents dragged me to this to this meeting and, and he was telling me that he was getting his master's in education and that he was dyslexic. And I kind of hated the meeting at the time because it was like, wait, this guy is, is saying that anything is possible. And, and that's and I think that kind of inspired me to even pursue education, even though it was hard. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. The Sports Business Radio Podcast. Why should you listen? We're going to help you learn directly from top sports and business executives, athletes turned business people, content creators, and those working in and around the sports world. Whether you work in the sports or business world, you're a student trying to work in sports, or you just want to add overall business skills to your tool belt. We're going to bring you knowledge that you can apply to your life immediately after listening to our podcast each week. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 follow by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Hello, everybody. This is Brian Griggs, executive producer of Sports Business Radio. On today's show, Brian sits down with ESPN senior writer Don Venata Jr. to talk about his piece on Roger Goodell and the NFL's current state. And then Brian welcomes a close friend of the show, Jared Blank, for an in-studio sit-down. Jared is about to embark on the World Marathon Challenge. Very interesting and a cool story coming up. And now, without further ado, here's Brian Berger with this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. My guest is Don Vanatta Jr. He is a senior writer for ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at DVNJr. Jr. Also find Don's Sunday Long Read podcast on iTunes. He authored a fantastic piece for ESPN.com and the December 4th edition of ESPN the magazine. It's called Roger Goodell has a Jerry Jones problem, and the story offers great detail on the civil war within the NFL that is starting to take shape. Don, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Doing great, Brian. How are you doing today? Good. So, you know, I, I followed you for a while, and A, you have great access to Jerry Jones. So, you know, what you write about him always has really good insight and detail. How long did you work on this piece? I think that Seth Wickersham and I started it, I want to say about two and a half weeks ago. It was shortly after the piece that we did uh, that quoted the Texans owner, Bob McNair. Uh, You know, that kind of now infamous comment from the owners meeting in October at the Conrad Hotel in lower Manhattan where he said, we can't have the inmates running the prison. Shortly after that story, um, we started reporting and working on what was going on with Roger Goodell's contract and all the rumblings we heard, uh, not just coming out of North Texas from the Jerry Jones camp, but also other places around the league um, about this, what we call it, sort of uh, the league is teetering on a civil war. So I'd say two and a half to three weeks is how long it took us to work the piece. Now, for people who haven't read your story yet, but who have followed this story, this all is rooted in the Zeke Elliott case. And 
Um, you know, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, at one point Roger Goodell in the NFL had said to Jerry Jones that Zeke would not be suspended. But then he called Jerry Jones later and said, we're suspending Zeke for six games. Is that the crux of where this uh, animosity that exists right now is rooted? I think it's the tipping point, Brian. Uh, Certainly the Ezekiel Elliott case uh, is something that Jerry Jones has been um, intensely focused on uh, since last year uh, when the investigation was first opened by Lisa Friel, the former Manhattan prosecutor who was hired by the NFL to investigate these cases, um, there was a conversation, and a key part of our story is a conversation that Roger Goodell had with Jerry Jones in May. At that time, uh, Jerry was looking for an update from the commissioner about where things stood. Jerry Jones had a very distinct takeaway from that conversation that there was going to be no suspension. And the reason he had that takeaway is because during the conversation, Roger Goodell, according to the Jerry Jones camp, said there really isn't much evidence here against Zeke. Would uh, Ezekiel Elliott be willing to put out a statement of contrition? Uh, and, uh, and that was something that was really a non-starter because the statement of contrition was going to cover these domestic violence allegations that Elliott has adamantly denied all along that were made by a former girlfriend of his. Um, so that didn't really go anywhere, but Jerry Jones had that takeaway that, that Zeke was out of the woods. And a key part of this, Brian, is in the summer when training camp opened for the Cowboys in Oxford, California, Jerry Jones insisted to the media that there was nothing here on these domestic violence allegations. Hmm. I mean, he really doubled down on that. Right. He said the same thing in Canton, Ohio, when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. So two days before the suspension was announced on August 11th, when Goodell and Jeff Pash, the NFL general counsel, called Jerry Jones to say that Zeke was going to be suspended, that's when he reacted with fury because he had been thinking for months that there just wasn't anything here and Zeke was out of the woods. Well, and there's an all-time great quote in your story uh, from Roger Goodell that I'll let the readers see when they read the story. I won't repeat it, but, uh, you know, pretty tough words from Jerry Jones to Roger Goodell when he was on the phone with Goodell when he learned that Zeke Elliott was going to be suspended. So now we've got, according to your story, uh, Jerry Jones asking for a more thorough examination of whether or not Roger Goodell's contract should be extended. Is that because he's really wanting a more thorough examination, or is it because of the Zeke Elliott case? Yeah, I don't think it's only because of the Zeke Elliott case. So, I, you know, as I said earlier, it's a tipping point. But, but really, Jerry Jones has had issues with the way the league office has been run for some time. He, he's really focused on the balance of power in the NFL, and this really is a sort of um, a gauging of who has more power, the owners who hire the commissioner or the commissioner. And with every mistake, every debacle that Roger Goodell has been guilty of on the player discipline side, beginning with Ray Rice in 2014, going through the Josh Brown, the, the Giants place kicker who was uh, uh, charged with domestic violence in 2016, and now the Ezekiel Elliott case, each one of these times, Goodell comes out, he says, we'll do better, uh, and he hires more people, uh, and the league office actually gets larger. And, and uh, with, with high-paid people on the player discipline side, on public relations, Joe Lockhart, uh, the former White House press secretary, 
has been hired to try to rehabilitate Goodell's image and handle PR. And so Jerry Jones has been concerned about it, about that, and he's not the only owner. Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft have been uh, quite vocal behind the scenes about how big the league office has gotten. So Jones is looking at the Goodell contract through that prism, through Goodell's job performance, and if you take him at his word, he says he just wants accountability. He just wants transparency in this process, and there really hasn't been that much. Um, Usually when Goodell gets re-upped, there really is not a lot of information laid on the table for owners, and Jones wants that to change because, of course, the backdrop for all this, Brian, as you know, is the league's uh, business metrics have all gone south in the last two years. Right. TV ratings are down significantly. Uh, merchandise sales are down. Uh, the polling, because of the anthem issue, uh, is down. People are, are less into the NFL than they were just two years ago. And Jones has his finger on that pulse, and he's very, very concerned about it. And he's saying to his fellow owners, is this really the time that we want to lay all this money on Roger Goodell uh, in light of his job performance and in light of all the problems uh, now confronting the NFL on the business side? So now to play counter to that, and this was one of my favorite quotes from your story, switching commissioners is like switching from an iPhone to a Samsung, one ownership source says. This is in your story. Do my pictures transfer? Do my contacts does my music. In the end, why take the risk? So you've, it seems you've got two camps. You've got, you know, the Jerry Jones, the Crafts who want more accountability, a more thorough examination about Goodell being the guy to lead them going forward. But then you've got these other owners who are busy with other companies and have a billion things going on in their life. And they're like, do I really want to switch ponies now? Especially when you've got the collective bargaining agreement negotiations coming up in 2021. That's an excellent point. Uh, there is a longtime owner uh, who um, I spoke with who really is not thrilled with the performance by Goodell, but believes that Goodell is the best person that he could have um, in that negotiation session with the union come 2021 because the owners love the CBA in 2011. Uh, and, and they see uh, Goodell as somebody who helped um, you know, be the steward of that. So that's a big plus on Goodell's side. The, the other big plus that he has, and, and this is kind of an interesting question of how much of this Goodell is done by design, is the fact that there is not an obvious successor. Right. You know, it comes down to this, you know, who do you trust more, the devil you know or the devil you don't know? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people around the league that are not enamored of the job performance by Goodell, but they are literally saying it behind closed doors at these meetings, well, who do we get as a replacement? There is not a deep bench at the NFL league office. And there is some suspicion among some of the more anti-Goodell owners that that's by design by Roger Goodell, that he has marginalized potential successors and, and, uh, and really not had an obvious heir apparent that they can choose from inside the league office. And then outside the league office, because the league office has its own issues, if you bring in somebody like a Condoleezza Rice or an Adam Silver or somebody who's not you know, really uh, knowledgeable about the way the NFL works, then they're coming into a league office that has some issues and probably needs some changes. And so that also makes some owners nervous. So uh, I, I think that, you know, we've had some recent reports just over the last day or two that uh, there's a lot of confidence that Roger Goodell will get re-upped for five years, and it could happen as early as uh, mid-December. The next owners' meetings are going to be actually in Jerry Jones's backyard in, uh, in Dallas, and it, it could happen as soon as then. And, uh, and I think you know, these various factors that I'm describing are at play 
uh, I think, are, are giving people the confidence and the belief that Roger Goodell will uh, have a five-year extension. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now back to our conversation. Who has more leverage, Roger Goodell or the owners? Because honestly, with the job that Roger Goodell's done, and yes, revenues have you know gone up at one point, but as you pointed out the last few years, the metrics are down. I don't see another league running to go hire Roger Goodell as their commissioner. And I know he could make money as a consultant and, and do some of the things that Paul Tagliabue has done. But it seems to me, especially if you're talking about $40 million a year, that the owners have a lot more leverage than Roger Goodell. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And I think that Jerry Jones agrees with that. And the, and the four or five owners that are firmly in Jerry Jones's camp, uh, Dan Snyder of the Redskins being one of them, I believe Bob McNair of the Texans is another, would also agree with that, that Goodell really doesn't have much leverage. Um, they're paying him an astronomical amount. I mean, I think one thing that has gotten lost in the coverage, Brian, is that Roger Goodell has averaged over the last five years $42 million a year in his compensation package between his base salary and all the bonuses. Um, you know, the, the number that he put on the table that his representative put on the table back in August was $49 million. That's a $7 million raise if he were to max out all of the incentives, all the incentives uh, under the, you know, the performance side uh, bonus package. Um, and I think the owners would like to keep the, the number around 40 to 42 million around where he is and maybe even a slight pay cut. That's, that's where the difference is right now. And so the question is, yeah, what leverage does he really have? I think one of the leverages that he has is what I alluded to earlier and it is just the fact that there is not an obvious successor. Roger Goodell is somebody who has basically lived his entire professional life at the NFL. He's hired right out of college. He's been at the NFL 36 years. He has institutional knowledge. He has a familiarity with the owners. They're comfortable with him. He's comfortable with them, um, despite all these challenges. And I think that that's really the best, um, the best thing he has going for him. And, and also just you know the metric that you can't deny, uh, in 2007, his first full year as commissioner, um, the the uh, the revenue, the annual revenue of the NFL that year was $6 billion, and now it's approaching $15 billion 11 years later. The debate, though, among the owners is how much did Roger Goodell actually have to do with that uh, in, in, in that exponential growth, and how much, it, how much of it did the owners have to do, who, you know, sit on these various committees, particularly the broadcast committee, which has been so uh, vital to uh, upping that annual revenue number. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Roger Goodell has 18 months left on his current contract. So let's just say it sounds like he's going to get extended, but let's say he doesn't. Now you've got a lame duck scenario where he's serving the next you know, 18 months or however many months it is on his contract, and you know he's not the guy moving forward at that point. Would Jerry Jones and other owners say, we got to settle on a buyout because we can't have this guy in here that is a lame duck? That, that, that's one option if it goes there, although it's quite unlikely that that would happen. But I think, yes, I think, Brian, you put your finger on another reason why uh, there's a, a, a big group of owners that don't want to go that route. Because then you're looking at a buyout, and then you're looking at, uh, you know, you have to scramble to find somebody. One of the uh, potential proposals that Seth Wickersham and I heard about in our reporting for this most recent story is there was an idea floated to maybe bring Paul Tagliabue back. Uh, for a single year um, as a sort of caretaker commissioner uh, while there would be this, you know, wide search uh, for a successor to Roger Goodell. And as we also reported, Adam Silver, somebody close to one of the owners reached out to uh, Adam Silver and asked whether he would be interested and got a, a, an immediate no. Uh, so when the NBA commissioner is saying no uh, to the possibility of becoming an NFL commissioner, that also tells you a lot. I mean, the NBA is on the upswing and the NFL is uh, dealing with a lot of challenges right now. It's just, it's just sort of an interesting snapshot of where those two leagues are at this moment. No, you, you are definitely right. And, you know, look, I've been around the NFL owners and the NFL as well. Uh, I know you have great access to the owners. The thing I would tell you with Roger Goodell, and I'm interested in your observation on this, is that he's been surrounded by yes people. There are people in the league office who are afraid to confront him, tell him when he's making a decision that they don't agree with. They tend to just go, okay, Roger, and, and go along with it. And what's happened is he's become judge and jury on everything. And I think the owners are really afraid that this one person has the power to play judge and jury on player, disipu- player discipline and other uh, issues related to the NFL. You know, you're absolutely right. That is what my reporting shows, too. The the people in the league office uh, are afraid uh, to say no. They, they are generally afraid to challenge his authority. And, uh, you know, and as I as I was saying earlier, I think uh, another sort of just uh, fact of life at, uh, at 345 Park Avenue right now at the NFL headquarters is um, it's just not a deep bench of people. It's... Um, they, they've had some talent. Uh, they've had a talent infusion in a couple of places, but I think the general consensus among uh, the owners that are really looking at this and judging it, and Jerry Jones is, I think, the leader of that group, uh, is that there is some you know, fresh leadership that is needed there, and I would be very surprised if Roger Goodell does get re-upped. I'd be very surprised if we don't see some turnover in the league office and some new executives being brought in. Um, you know, it, the best thing that Roger Goodell has going for him, as I said earlier, is this is this history he has with the owners and this longevity, this institutional knowledge. But um, there really isn't a, a an obvious successor. And uh, and Bob Kraft, back in 2014, when Goodell was really on the hot seat for his handling of the Ray Rice domestic violence situation, and it really became a national embarrassment for the NFL. Uh, was saying as early as 2014, well, who would we get as a successor uh, to Roger Goodell? And I think that that sense, again, this this autumn, as Goodell has had all these challenges um, 
that had been brought to the forefront mainly by Jerry Jones and, and, and with the anthem controversy and the handling of it by the league, again, um, you know, behind closed doors, some owners are wondering, well, who would we get? And, and as I said earlier, just no obvious uh, candidates. How much have the anthem protests hurt the NFL from where you sit? I think it's been. I think it's hurt a lot. Uh, I think it is has really um, annoyed and angered uh, millions of fans. Um, they want their politics completely separated from uh, their entertainment, and the National Football League is entertainment. On Sunday, they don't want to have to think about um, politics and 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 these kinds of very difficult social issues and. Um, if it were up to them, uh, this, this, this large, silent majority of fans, uh, every single player would be required to stand. And that is something that Jerry Jones went to New York to the owners' meeting last uh, in October uh, last month and, and tried to persuade his fellow owners to do and didn't get much traction on that. And Roger Goodell, in large part, stood in his way. I mean, another... Uh, symptom of the souring of the relationship between uh, Goodell and Jones uh, we saw last month in New York. There was a historic players-owners meeting at the league office. Uh, about a dozen owners were invited by Roger Goodell, and Jerry Jones wasn't one of them. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a slap against Jones by Goodell to keep him out of that room because I think Goodell and some other uh, league office executives perceived if uh, if Jerry were there, he would suck all the oxygen out of the room, it could, and it could very quickly become more contentious uh, if he were there. Um, I think it's really hurt the league, and it's a it's a problem that uh, there's no easy solution for it. I think Goodell has made uh, generally uh, a lot of right moves. He's he's communicated with this players' coalition group. Uh, that's led pretty much by Malcolm Jenkins right, right. now, um, and and you know he's he's been listening to them. He's been respectfully gauging what they'd like to have have happen. I think there's some moves uh, happening now where there will be some money, a substantial amount of money, uh, by the clubs that will be devoted to this uh, to this issue, these social issues, and trying to find reform. I think the NFL is committed to using its large platform. Um, to do uh, those kinds of things, as well as lobby, not just in uh, in Washington, but in state houses around the country. So they're trying they're trying to do their best, um, but it's a difficult issue. And, and you know, as we saw, uh, you know, uh, at the game in uh, Mexico City uh, between the Raiders and the Patriots, Marshawn Lynch, you know, sitting for the national for the U.S. national anthem and standing for the Mexican national anthem um just plays right into president trump's hands and now you know there's all these headlines uh this week leading into thanksgiving uh, about marshawn lynch and and it, it reminds people who might be on the fence on this issue that uh, the problem hasn't gone away yeah and the thing that's interesting is this i used to work in the nba and if i look at adam silver and i look at roger goodell adam can say everyone is standing for the anthem and the players will say okay adam we'll do that because they know that adam's gonna help them in other areas with their outreach on community efforts when roger goodell says it players don't listen owners don't listen he doesn't seem to have the same respect that adam silver has when he says something would you agree with that oh absolutely absolutely roger goodell uh, I mean, I've been writing about Goodell now since 2012, and I did a profile in 2013 of 
the commissioner. And I was really struck in the months that I spent working on that, that profile for ESPN's magazine and also for the network on how little respect Goodell had among players. I mean, you know, the word you hear most often when you talk to players about Goodell is puppet. Hmm. The word puppet to describe that he's a puppet of the owners. He's a yes man for the owners. Um, part of that comes from this, uh, of Goodell almost being the anti-Tagliabu when he came in and being a hammer on players um, who will violate uh, a league rule even when they don't um, get convicted of a crime, let's say. And uh, uh, that, that has rubbed players the wrong way. Um, yeah, he, has a, he, he, he doesn't have a great relationship with players and doesn't have that credi- credibility um, with players that Adam Silver has. Um, but there's a fundamental difference, too. There's a rule in the NBA that you have to stand. It's for the national anthem. It's mandatory. There's no such rule in the NFL. I mean, to be fair to Goodell from that standpoint, it's a guideline, not a rule. Uh, but still, th- th- this is an issue with Colin Kaepernick uh, more than a year ago that uh, could have been nipped in the bud, could have been dealt with far more proactively by Goodell in the league office. It was not. It was, it was allowed to sort of fester and be on the sidelines for the most part uh, for a year. And then uh, President Trump at that uh, rally in Hicksville, Alabama, on September 22nd, with that criticism, um, you know, turned this into a full-blown crisis for the NFL, um, from which it still hasn't recovered. You mentioned in your story that recently when the Falcons and Cowboys played, that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, and Jerry Jones did not speak. So my question to you to wrap this up is, do you think that this issue is going to divide the owners within the NFL, not just owners and Roger Goodell, but do you think the owners within the NFL are going to start to have problems with each other as well? Well, I think they always did. I, I mean, you know, the history is that it, these are very competitive uh, billionaires who are used to getting their way uh, and who have sharp elbows. And there's always been a history of um, owners uh, clashing with other owners behind closed doors. I think it's a lot more open now than it was in years past. But, you know, that that uh, incident that uh, we ended the story with, we did it for a reason. Arthur Blank is the chairman of the NFL's Compensation Committee. It's a six-member Compensation Committee. Uh, Jerry Jones was invited by Arthur Blank to join that committee as a sort of seventh ad hoc member. Uh, Jerry liked to call it the ombudsman of the committee, and Jerry liked to say he represented all the other owners that weren't on the committee when it came to Roger Goodell's contract. Uh, Jerry got kicked off the committee by Arthur Blank after Jerry said at a conference call just a few weeks ago that he was thinking of suing the members of the committee and the NFL for lack of transparency in this process involving Roger Goodell's contract. Now, Blank was uh, really upset about that and offended by that. He told Jerry, this isn't how we do things in the NFL. Um, this kind of, you know, scorched earth reaction to this process, particularly since all 32 of the owners in Chicago, Brian, which is also reported in our piece, um, at a meeting in Chicago of all the owners, 32 to zero, they approved an extension for Roger Goodell, including Jerry Jones. Um, um, back at the end of May. And and now we're at a, a place where, yes, Jerry Jones and Blank are not speaking when their teams play in Atlanta. I think there are certainly other rifts 
between owners over this issue and many other issues. Um, and and that is that falls to Roger Goodell to try to play peacemaker, to try to be the diplomat uh, when it comes to trying to solve this issue. And it goes back to your earlier question, does he have the credibility? Right. Um, certainly doesn't have it with the players. Does he have it with the owners? Does he have enough sort of juice and credibility to try to uh, repair the breach between these various factions? I don't know whether he does. And that's, that's I think, a concern of Jerry Jones and some other owners of, of whether Goodell you know, has the leadership now um, abilities to sort of, you know, move the league forward through a very, very difficult time for the league. Don Van Otta Jr., he's a senior writer for ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at DVN Jr. You can also listen to his Sunday long read podcast on iTunes. I'm telling you, this is one of the best pieces I've read on the NFL. If you want insight into the owners, Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell, it's called Roger Goodell has a Jerry Jones problem. It's in the December 4th edition of ESPN the magazine. You can find it on ESPN.com now. Don, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Great stuff from you and Seth. Thank you, Brian. Really enjoyed it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Ergon Office, who manufacture beautiful, high-quality electronic standing desks. Co-founded by former hockey player Sam Finn, Ergon Office is on a mission to inspire people to live a more active lifestyle because the human body just wasn't meant to be sitting 13 hours a day. When I'm not in the recording studio, I have a home office and I like to alternate standing and sitting throughout the course of the day. If I don't, my back gets sore or it'll lock up. I also get an energy boost every time I stand and work or talk on the phone. Studies have proven alternating between sitting and standing leads to increased productivity and a reduction in muscle disorders like back pain or carpal tunnel, which cost society close to $50 billion annually in lost productivity and medical bills. What I love the most about Ergon Office is that the desks adjust using an embedded touchscreen, allowing you to switch seamlessly between a sitting and standing position in seconds. You can even save your preferred heights for more convenience. Ergon Office's height-adjustable desks are available in Canada and the United States. Change how you work and be healthier in the process. Ergon Office has beautiful, high-quality desks with a unique design, and they couldn't be easier to adjust. Their customer service is great, too, so they'll help you find the best desks that work for your needs. I'm a really big fan of this company. Check them out at ergonoffice.com backslash SBR and use the promo code SBR10 to get 10% off any standing desk. That's ergonoffice, E-R-G-O-N-O-F-I-S dot com backslash SBR, promo code SBR10. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ergonoffice. My guest is Jaron Blake. We are actually in studio together. This is a rare opportunity. Usually we do these on the phone, but uh, Jared is local. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at InMotional, and you can find him on his website at InMotional.run. I've known Jared for a long time. He was the director of football operations at the University of Southern California. He worked for Pete Carroll, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, Clay Hilton, and, and others. He's got a great story, and I'm going to have him tell this because it's really inspiring, but um, he is running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents as part of the World Marathon Challenge. Jared, this is superhuman stuff. It's exciting, yeah. I'm uh, definitely uh, definitely looking forward to this journey uh, starting in January. Tell us the story of 
how you got into running as a young kid because it's a it's a unique story. It's a special story. I think it'll inspire our audience. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with dyslexia and sensory processing disorder when I was five years old. And for me, running had always been an outlet of frustration. Um, so dealing with learning, life, school, running was kind of my outlet. It was my way of getting out the door. And, uh, you know, my dad always said when we get hurt, you know, take your medicine, do the ice. He said, you stay ahead of the pain. And running had been a way for me to kind of stay ahead of dyslexia and these challenges. Um, and then as I got older and high school, I used running to kind of stay in shape for soccer. Um, and then after college, uh, I started doing marathons and there was a transition and the relationship of running with me, um, going from an outlet or a tool to stay in shape to actually being a passion. And, I think that's what's led to me wanting to do the World Marathon Challenge and run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. So, again, you're diagnosed with dyslexia, but then you go on and get an MBA and you also get a master's in communications. You run football operations for one of the biggest college football programs in America. You've done some pretty darn good things. Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate. Um, I've been around a lot of great mentors, you know, and uh, Pete Carroll and Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Jen Cohen, uh, up at the University of Washington. Mm -hmm. You know, I've just been really fortunate to be around all these great leaders and, and helping me kind of develop a, a professional career in collegiate sports. Um, and then education has always been something that's been really important to me. And, you know, I had this fortune of meeting this grad student. I think when I was 10 years old, my parents dragged me to this, to this meeting and, and he was telling me that he was getting his master's in education and that he was dyslexic. And I and I kind of hated the meeting at the time because it was like, wait, this guy is, is saying that anything is possible. And, and that's – and I think that kind of inspired me to even pursue education even though it was hard. So let's talk about the World Marathon Challenge. I mean, again – when I heard about this, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents, I'm like, how is that even like physically possible to get from one marathon to the next in the span of seven days? Describe what this is. So uh, Richard Donovan, the, the race director, um, has organized this thing, and it started in 2015. Um, and I think they even did commercial flights back then, and, and now it's it's led to, to charter flights. So the group will meet in uh, – Cape Town, South Africa. And then from there, we board a charter to Antarctica. And what they do is they start the race once they know that flight can take off. Um, and then the first marathon begins, and then we have a week to finish all seven. So it's uh, about 183 miles of running over the course of a week and about 50 hours of travel. How can your body endure that? We hear in sports, you know, the term now is rest and recovery. You're not getting a lot of rest doing seven marathons in seven days. How can your body physically recover enough to do marathons in back-to-back -back days, much less seven days in a row? It's a great question, and I actually do not have the answer to it. You're going to find uh, out. Yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> uh, but um, I've been working with the Weiss Wolves here, uh, Flex and Flow Yoga, doing some different things to kind of get the body um, body ready, actually, I've been um, – so doing that type of training to kind of look at a holistic approach to to building an athlete to hopefully um, being able to hold up for for those seven days and, and being able to uh, be able to run that. 
I mean, I, I went and did some hiking over the weekend and everything. I feel, you know, like a slob compared to you because you're like, <laughs> you're doing seven marathons in seven days. I'm like, wow, I'm doing nothing compared to this. But you said about 60 people from around the world are going to do this. You said 33 did it last year. So obviously more people are hearing about this and are accepting this challenge. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's kind of the beauty of the sport of running is you see these people that um, go out and do these do these challenges, and then people are inspired to you know to to, to either try it or come up with their own invention of of what a challenge looks like. But I mean, um, that's that's the beauty of the sport of running is I think it, everyone just embraces challenges, embraces each other, and it's a, it's a really unique community in that regard. Now, you're going to have a video crew with you documenting some of, of what you do. You've been doing training, which has been documented. Again, the website, inmotional.run. And you can also follow Jared on Twitter and Instagram, at inmotional. But, you know, it seems, first of all, it's very inspiring. And, and you know, where you started from at five years old with that dyslexia diagnosis to, you know, getting these degrees to leading USC to now what you're doing. It's cool that that people are going to get to follow your journey. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, I've definitely had some people helping me kind of tell the story and 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 document the training. Um, uh, so that being able to share that is really what this is about because we all have challenges on some level, be it dyslexia or or, or some other obstacle in our life. And I think for me, you know, running running is you know been that tool, but. It can be anything, art, music, and, and to be able to share the, share the journey is a, a special thing. So is that one of your pieces of advice for people who may be battling some kind of adversity? Find an outlet, whether it's physical exercise or creativity like music or art where you can, you know, kind of, uh, put that passion, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for me, I always think, Fitness is, is something that's really important, whether, whether it's getting out the door, going for a hike or, or doing some sort of movement. I, I, I'm definitely a proponent of that. With regard to overcoming the obstacles, it is, it's finding that passion. It's finding that strength and building around that, right? If you're doing art, music, cooking, if you're doing what you love to do, if that's your strength, then you can, you'll have the energy and you'll have the motivation to maybe tackle the things that are a little bit more harder in life be at school um so yeah i think that's definitely a, a a component to to dealing with this thing any other messages that you want to send out things you want people to follow on your your journey coming up when it what's the date so we uh i'll leave for south africa around january 27th and i believe that first race kicks off on january 30th um you know we uh i think follow along the journey there there's ways to support um you know we're still looking for sponsorship for the for the event um for the race itself i'm raising funds and awareness also for the international dyslexia association and on my website there's a there's a place to directly donate to to them as well um partnering with them has been a big part of this deal um i really believe in what the international dyslexia association is doing um on a holistic level um out in baltimore and then our local office with uh uh with the president out here it's it's been it's been really uh uh a unique environment to connect with and, and what Portland's doing. Again, Jared Blank, follow him on Twitter and Instagram at InMotional. You can go to the website at InMotional.run 
the World Marathon Challenge. Seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Jared, I'm proud of you. Best of luck to you, and we're certainly going to have to have you back on. All of our listeners are going to be like, "How did that turn out?" Like, well, they're, you know, I, I'm very curious to see. I have faith in you. I know you're going to do it. I know you're passionate about this stuff, and I know you're representing other people uh, beyond yourself. And uh, just congratulations on on the passion that you've displayed on this. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, it's been great to do this. You know, longtime friend, and then be able to go on the radio with you. Watch the show or listen to the show for a long time. And so it's exciting to be on. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, Jared was great when we were at USC uh, a few years ago with Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers. And we did our sports business radio road show presented by Boingo at USC's campus. Jared was the one who helped make that happen. All right, Jared, thank you again. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Reserve your spot for the 2018 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players' Tribune on Tuesday, May 22nd at the Players' Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together elite athletes, national media members, and senior PR and social media executives for panel discussions, featured conversations, and networking opportunities. The event allows PR execs to lead with a better understanding of the elite athletes, owners, commissioners, and national media people they're working with. The event also allows attendees to see Derek Jeter's one-of-a-kind digital publishing company, The Players' Tribune, up close, as well as network with top Players' Tribune executives. Past Sports PR Summit speakers include NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NFL stars Anquan Bolden and Demarcus Ware, Cleveland Cavaliers all-star Isaiah Thomas, WNBA legend Lisa Leslie, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, and Sports Illustrated executive editor and 60 Minutes correspondent John Wartime. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first five years, and there are only 125 spots. Reserve your spot today by going online to sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you on May 22nd at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A quick reminder, the next Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo is all set. It's December 7th at the Players' Tribune in New York. I'll be sitting down with NCAA President Mark Emmert for a one-on-one conversation. Lots to discuss with him. Make sure to follow the conversation at SB Radio and at Sports Business Radio on Instagram. We'll be doing the show in front of a live studio audience comprised of special guests and college students from local universities in the greater New York City area. We'll have lots to discuss with him. Thanks to our friends at Boingo for supporting our road show. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. 
My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.